Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Narsen. Think Bank Tour Stage 3 and a brief discussion of the Quinn Simmons drama uh, at the end of this podcast as well, given I feel like we have to address it. I'm back on board today. Big thanks to Benji for taking over yesterday and running the show for Fleshwell On. Obviously, we didn't have a Think Bank Tour Stage 2. A bit concerning the amount of comments that, uh, yeah, they seem to like you on the, the solo pod, Benji, so maybe... <laughs> Maybe I just get booted for good, but yeah, we're going to do Bing Bang Tour Stage one, uh, three, and then we're going to wrap up and then record our Giro preview podcast separately after this. But Bing Bang Tour Stage three, Stage two was cancelled, as you know. This Stage three, Alta to Alta, one hundred and fifty-seven k's, pancake flat, very technical finale, bit of rain on the road. I think leading the general classification before the stage. Uh, was, I have to remember now because they skipped stage two because <laughs> there was the COVID restrictions. It was Jasper Philipson because he won stage uh, he won stage one and Mads Pedersen was in second, four seconds behind him, Turnison third and Ackerman fourth. Now, obviously, Ackerman had gone too early in that first stage into Ardoi. Would he learn his lesson, which he hasn't learned for a long time now, about going too early or his lead out dropping him off too early? So, yeah, it was looked like it was going to be a sprint. Another pretty much a bit of a snooze fest. But, yeah, Benji, what happened in this stage, I guess, before the finale? We still had the golden kilometre to keep us excited. So I tuned in about 20-ish kilometres before the golden kilometre because I had a lot to do today. But I know that there were two groups ahead of the peloton. We had a fast group that included the likes of Pim Lechthard for Total Direct Energy together with a teammate and Jonas Ricard there as well together with another teammate for him at Alpecin Phoenix. And there was also a top sport Vladerin rider, a sport Vladerin rider that pretty much left off the back soon after I started watching. So he wasn't up there for too long. In the second group was Milan Menton and some other people. I think one teammate of the, um, well, Dries de Bond, the teammate of Alpsin riders up front. So Dries de Bond choosing to ride with Milan Menton and another person in that group to try and catch that front group. So he was not pulling the card off while well, my teammates are up front, so you guys need to do the work. He was the strongest in that group and knew that, and therefore he was, well, definitely just riding fast to try and get to the front. But there was one rider in that second group that didn't, and it was the fellow Sport Vlaanderen rider because he had a teammate up front and pulled the card, unlike Dries de Bond. So a bit of different tactic styles. I feel like... The Bond knew that he was the strongest in that group and that having him at the front would be very beneficial for that breakaway. And yeah, he chose to ride while the other person, Milan Menton, didn't. Now, a little bit of a highlight on Milan Menton. In stage one, I spoke about the fact that near the end of the stage, a Sport Vladen rider did a short sprint to try and get past the Bora Hansgrohe lead out and take, well, like five meters and then look behind and get caught again but I didn't really notice at that point that he was going for a 
sprint. There was a sprint there in stage one. So he actually took that and was wearing a white jersey because of that today. So apparently he had a reason to do that. I was questioning his decision-making, but he sure as hell did make the right decision for a team like Sport of Vlaanderen, and that is worth gold. Now, this breakaway, they unfortunately, for the spectacle of the race, did take the golden kilometer. So again, golden kilometer, one kilometer, three intermediate sprints that gained three, two, and one second for the first, second, and third rider. The peloton was not fast enough to catch that. We had UAE pedaling the peloton and also Trexiga Fredo trying to control the race a bit. Bora was seen up there as well, as expected with Akamon. So the people you would expect with Philipson, Peterson, and Akamon being the first three riders in stage one. Now, the breakaway riders, they were looking like they were going to get caught, but towards the end, we saw an attack of Jonas Ricard in the first group after the second group was already caught by the peloton. Ricard, very strong rider, to be honest. He took all nine seconds at the golden kilometers, so is on paper in the top three of GC, if I recall correctly. I think he's on seven seconds now uh, behind the winner of today and the winner of the first stage, Jasper Philipson. Now, Jonas Rickards, he was gone for a bit. Tim Lichtgaard was the only rider that could follow for Total Direct Energy. And they were basically kind of waiting again because the teammate of Alpesin was back again and Alpesin started riding in the breakaway again for Jonas Ricard with Tim Lichtgaard there. This is all with about seven-ish kilometers to go. Then Ricard tried to attack once again and basically dropped the other two, but he was not going to make it. It was going to go to a mass sprint because the storming peloton was coming behind him. Now, I want to talk with you about something that really bugs me in the Bing Bang Tour and most of the Belgian races. We've spoken about it on stage one as well, but firstly, very technical finish, rather insane, so much road structure, infrastructure, and so forth, and because of that, there are a lot of riders that are on footpaths that are technically cutting corners, taking footpaths, and trying to move in the peloton that way, and it annoys me, and I think it annoys you as well. Yeah, see, I don't mind, well, I I don't get too up in air if... Uh, a rider maybe use the bike path that's like completely unexpected, like I thought happened on a couple of occasions on stage one, and it doesn't provide them with any additional advantage. I know that's not what the rule says, um, and it's all about safety, the rule, but today, Circus Wanty Group Gobert, a f- couple of their riders, they used a footpath or a different side of the road it, it wasn't the main road. There was definitely a level change. They went over a gutter. They used that additional part, which the rest of the peloton wasn't on, to move up the bunch to get into better position before the sprint in the last two kilometers. And that really bugged me as well, Benji, because, yeah, they're breaking the rules to get an advantage. Positioning was so important in this finale. Um, there's like, yeah, it's all. Kind of a crazy finish, actually. A little bit sketchy, especially but given that there was a fair bit of rain around and some standing water. And, yeah, Alpes and Phoenix, they missed a couple of the corners and that, that caught them out of position for the finale, whereas Circus Wanty Group Gobert, or maybe just Circus Wanty Gobert now, yeah, they they did that. And then once another team does that, it's sort of it's a bit like Lemmings. The the other riders start to follow. I then saw a Sunweb rider poke their head out, and then everyone starts to do it. And that's what happened when I think Gilbert did that in Tour de Wallonie uh, just after lockdown ended and races came back. Gilbert attacked 
on the side of the road avoiding the cobbles and then everyone else, like half the peloton followed him. And I can't remember, I think he might have actually got a time penalty for that uh, back then because it was pretty egregious. And I wouldn't be surprised if, assuming it was Danny Van Poppel being let out for Circus Wanty Gobert, whether they got a little bit of a, a fine or a penalty for doing that because, yeah, it's pretty sketchy. Like it's doesn't cause a crash every time, but it's going to cause a crash eventually. If everyone does this throughout a season, it will cause crashes. Like that is going to happen. And it also, the riders that are doing the right thing who are like, well, maybe they're caught out of position on the right-hand side of the peloton. They can't move up. They have to wait for a, a sort of more open stretch of road or a longer straight section then move up with their nose in the wind or something. They rather than sort of jumping to the right-hand side when everyone's freewheeling before a corner and diving in on this wrong side of the road, yeah, they do the right thing and they lose positions for it. So, yeah, I think, like, do you think they're going to get fined or do you think this one will be um, sort of ignored? It's not probably as bad as Gilbert's one looked on camera. I think it's going to be ignored. Um, And I think it shouldn't get ignored. But the issue is that so many riders do it that, it becomes an issue that you have to punish too many riders that on paper you will be left with yeah, half the peloton not being punished, which is a bit odd. I feel like riders themselves should honestly kind of know this by now. And it's a rule that is clear for everyone. It's been shouted at and discussed a lot in Belgian media for every race that was written in 2019 regarding riding on foot spots and so forth. And the thing is, the thing that annoys me the most is that it's plainly dangerous for the riders, but also for the spectators, because the spectators are allowed to stand there if you cut a corner on a footpath, and just behind the corner, there's an old man just standing there, and you hit him, then then the man could basically end up in the hospital. We've seen that in the yeah, past. Yeah, true. And go and look at Benji's wrong. tweet. If you go and look at Benji's tweet about today's stage, and you see the corner they cut where... Yeah, maybe they just got caught on the wrong side and it allowed them to maintain the position they were in. There were spectators there, I'm pretty sure, in that corner. That was in someone's yeah, that, that was in someone's front garden, or there could have been spectators. I think there was a spectator there. And, yeah, what if there's a guy just behind the hedge that they can't really see and they're hitting it at 45, 50 k's an hour or whatever? Um, so, yeah, check that photo out. And, yeah, it's not just – it's against the rules. It's a little bit sketch. I know we're sounding like um, – the the rules policemen but eventually if this keep if eventually if this keeps happening and it never gets enforced and inevitably something bad will happen and then people will be saying this is the UCI's fault or the whoever's fault or the riders fault or whatever um when we should probably just stamp it out now um but yeah that's probably enough of the corner cutting etc bit of a pet peeve of Benji and I and let's get to the finale, which was very technical. If you look at the overhead shot for maybe the last two minutes, you probably get a good feel of this entire stage just from that overhead shot. I'm not sure I'm a big fan of the entire long-distance helicopter shot for a finale. I feel like they do – they got to chop in the front-on shot a little bit more regularly, maybe every 12 to 14 seconds so I can see who's at the front of the group, particularly with the way the sun was shining. It's very hard to distinguish between the jerseys. And because Philipson was in the leader's jersey, which I wasn't really familiar with, Pedersen was in a red points jersey, I presume. Um, and, yeah, it's just hard to tell who was who. And then you've got the quick-step guys kind of in a white jersey, same with Circus. So, yeah, they got to cut in the front-on shot a little bit more. But 
big left-hand bend, then a right-hand bend, then another left-hander just before the finish. It was wet. It was very narrow. Uh, Alperson Phoenix missed a corner. And, yeah, the main trek didn't lead out until the end. They mainly used their lead out to keep Pedersen. They were quite aggressive, actually. They Especially they were getting rid of Van Mark, etc. Keep Pedersen in good position. And they got rid of another confidence rider, rider, actually. So they were, they were riding for Pedersen again. They're obviously listening to our preview show when Benji said they got to just ride for Pedersen in the sprints. And UAE Emirates had done a lot of work during the day, earlier in the day, keeping brakes in check, etc. because Alpes and Phoenix had men in the break, etc. And they had Philipson in the leader's jersey. So they were riding for him, but they didn't really have much of a lead out right at the end. And it was Bora Hansgrohe riding for Ackermann. Again, on paper, sort of tradition, you think traditionally the best sprinter in this race by quite a bit. And if you were thinking that he's in that sort of top tier of five or six sprinters in the world, and um, yeah, he was the last man being led up by Bora Hansgrohe out of, I think, a left-hand corner. Alperson Phoenix missed it. Jasper Philipson, he reminds me of Caleb Ewan a little bit. He's, he's bigger than Ewan, but he's, he gets stays very low. He does seem to be much smaller or shorter than Pedersen or Ackerman, uh, particularly Ackerman. Pedersen isn't that tall. And Philipson stays very low, and he was just, Plonked himself right behind Pascal Ackerman. Ackerman got led out to the left-hand side. Once again, he started his sprint too early. Um, 50-50, whether it was him sprinting too early or his lead-out dropping him off too early. Regardless, he started sprinting too early. And immediately I knew, well, Pedersen, uh, sorry, not Pedersen, Philipson's going to beat him because you can, you can be the best sprinter in the world. And if you're not at the level of someone like Marcel Kittel, I said it on stage one, if you've got a half-decent World Tour level sprinter behind you, which Philipson is, and you give him give him a draft for 125 metres and then he gets to kick from 75 to 50 out of your wheel and come round you, then you're going to lose. And I knew that Philipson was going to beat him, but then Mads Pedersen was on Philipson's wheel. He came off. Philipson came off Ackerman's wheel to the right-hand side, started sprinting. Pedersen followed that move, maybe got the draft for like 25, 30 metres longer. And yeah, he once he kicked, he's Pedersen's clearly a better sprinter than Jasper Philipson in the pure bunch sprint. He's got a stronger kick. Um, he got probably left on the front a little bit early, and Philipson timed his sprint better on stage one. But Pedersen takes the world tour sprint victory ahead of Philipson's second, Ackerman third, Danny Van Poppel fourth, Tim Molière fifth, and he won easily. He won by well over uh, at least two bike lengths. I thought Mads Pedersen. And, um, yeah, he's got to be happy. He had a couple of second places, I think, in the Tour de France. He had a second place on stage one, and now he gets that big W. And I think he is a better sprinter than Pascal Ackerman, straight up, just a a better sprinter than him Um, right now in 2020. Maybe that's a bit of a reactionary take, but I was sort of saying that's a a similar sentiment uh, at the start of the Tour de France after stage one, if you go and check out that video about Maz Pedersen having an underrated sprint victory. But, yeah, any how did you view this sprint, Benji? I guess it was a big fight for, for position into that left-hand corner. Um, and, and what do you think is going wrong with Ackermann and Bora Hansgrohe in right now? I'm kind of not sure. I feel like whenever Ackermann is not in a winning position in the last 500 metres, he has a better sprint than when he's in second position perfectly laid out so it feels like being in a lead out is having a negative effect on him which is 
completely the opposite of what usual sprinters have. It's a bit odd, but yeah, he just doesn't have it right now to finish it off. I do notice that when Philipson got out of the wheel off Akemon, Peterson had to move out of the way and go around Philipson, so he had to have one hell of a muscle sprint to get past Philipson, and he did. So very strong sprint. In the background, we saw Medlir, who was again outpositioned. He was trying to get to the front with about a kilometer and a half to go in the wheel of Vanderpool. And something similar like stage one. I feel like having Vanderpool lead him out leads to more energy loss for him because on the stage I saw him sprinting in the wheel of Vanderpool because Vanderpool was going through the dirt on the side of the road. Merlier had to follow that to try and move past people. So I think it's a bit sketchy to try and follow Vanderpool as a lead out because he's not the greatest at positioning in sprints. We saw that today. We saw that on uh, Monday. It was it Monday. Yes, it no, it was Tuesday. And also on the EC European Championships, also very noticeable that his positioning is a bit lacking regarding Vanderpool. So I think he might not be the ideal person for a lead out. But that's just my opinion, I guess. One thing I do want to notice is we've got Philipson winning stage one. We've got Peterson winning stage three. And the leader in GC after the stage, it is Peterson. Now, I had the luck of following La Flamme Rouge on Twitter, one of our, our pals on Twitter. And there's these tiebreakers that decide who gets the jersey if both riders win a stage. So the first And they're on the same time, by the way. Yeah. As correct. well. They're both on the on same, same time. time. Because they both got 10 bonus seconds by winning the stages and didn't lose anything on the other stage as they both got second on each other stages. Now, the first tiebreaker would be fractions of seconds in an ITT, but since there's no individual time trial yet, that is not a decider here. The next tiebreaker is the sum of the placements in each stage. So 2 plus 1 and 1 plus 2 is both 3. So they're also equal in that. So the final tiebreaker... Yeah, I, I'm reading it off a tweet. So <laughs> <laughs> the final tiebreaker is the position of the last stage. So the position of the last stage is the third tiebreaker. And for that, Peterson was above Philipson and therefore he gets a jersey. I found this a really awesome fact because I was questioning it the moment I saw that Peterson was in the lead. So wanted to give that with you as well. Yeah, that's interesting. So Peterson in the lead going into the individual time trial, which has been rescheduled to tomorrow. It's 8.14 Ks. That is sort of a typical prologue distance TT. It's from Reimst to Reimst. So obviously maybe I think it's an out and back. And uh, no, it's not an out and back. Actually, they go along and then cross the river um, and finish. It's got a few turns actually for 8.14 Ks and especially – when you look at the, the start of it, it's very twisty. So I wonder what the weather will be like. I think Pedersen will Pedersen will beat Philipson. And I'm trying to look at who is, yeah, whether someone could beat Pedersen by enough to take the jersey off him. Could Mike Turnison make up 11 seconds on Pedersen? No. Nah. Or Matthew Van Der Poel or Lampart, <laughs> Lampart 13 seconds behind? Eh, I don't think so. I think Pedersen could probably almost win this prologue. Um He'll be very close, I think, with Stefan Kuhn and Soren Kranderson. So I think Pedersen's going to be wearing that jersey tomorrow. There's no bonus seconds at the end of an ITT, is there, Benji? Nope, there is not. 
Okay, so yeah, Peterson, I think, will be wearing the jersey and going to protect it into the like Flanders-style stage uh, on stage five. But yeah, who's your pick for tomorrow, Benji? I'm going with Peterson, uh, just beating Stefan Kung by about two seconds. I think that Søren Kronersen is going to win the prologue because I have to do this because we had that friendly war wager on the uh, first edge. I do think that Peterson is going to keep the jersey, but I do want to give a fun fact about this profile. We go in Rimst for this ITT, and that is next to the Dutch border, which has those corona measures over the border. So what they did is they took a road that is literally <laughs> on the border of the Netherlands, and if a rider would fall off the route one meter to the left of the road, then they're going to be in the Netherlands. So I'm expecting the Dutch police to just jump out of a bush and just arrest that vile criminal for cycling with public right there. So it's like, it's like they're trying to make a joke out of it with this route, just like a meter from the Dutch border they are, they're hosting this ITT. So I found the, the humor in that, to be honest. It is pretty funny. I don't know if that was intentional or not. If it was, it's a stroke of genius. Um, yeah, my personal view was that it was a little bit ridiculous that they cancelled the second stage, um, the ITT, given that bars and restaurants are still open, etc. in the Netherlands. I'm sure Benji was much more diplomatic on the podcast yesterday uh, about the cancellation than I've just been. But let's move on to some other news, which both Benji and I don't really like talking about, to be honest. Both of us try to keep our, our content, and we have done. You look at Benji's uh, YouTube channel, Benji Nice, and you look at mine. Like, I'll cover controversial topics that are related to cycling, uh, say, whether, you know, Bjarne Reese being appointed as allowed to be a manager of NTT, etc. I made a video about that or the Freeman trial or tribunal hearings, etc. But they're related to cycling and very relevant to to cycling. And, and I think Benji shares the same philosophy that you come to the internet, to YouTube, to podcasts, etc. to maybe have a break from whatever else is troubling you in life or just for some light entertainment or just yeah, a break from more serious things. Um, or you're just you're a hardcore fan as well, or it's a combination of both. Uh, and that's what I like about sport and watching highlights, etc. as well. It's kind of a break. Um, you can insulate yourself from that sort of thing. But unfortunately, for everyone involved, I guess, we have to address the Quinn Simmons uh, being benched by Trek Segafredo because it's literally a thing that's happened in cycling, and it is... A lot of people have asked us to talk about it and address it, so I'm not going to shy away from that. He, the background was there was the American presidential debate, which I haven't watched. As I said, I don't watch the news, um, and you don't care about my opinion on politics. And there's the American presidential debate. Very apparently, it was like not good, or there was a lot of hot takes or something. I don't know. And um. That's probably not <laughs> Benji watched it, so Benji probably has a more, uh, more curated view. But anyway, <laughs> that aside, I think Jose Bean, who's a, a pretty well-known journalist, cycling journalist, she um, she writes for Cycling Tips. She's done some, some like highlights commentary and some live commentary as well. She's a writer. She's well-known on Twitter, like over 30,000 Twitter followers, followed by a lot of pro riders. Um, she tweeted, I think if you... Yeah, I'm sorry for the Americans. I hope you have a different president. And if you 
basically invited people to unfollow her if they were Trump supporters. Um, and, yeah, so, yeah, she said, sorry, I'll quote it directly so there's no, I don't misconstrue it. My dear American friends, I hope this horrible presidency ends for you and for us as brackets former, question mark, brackets, allies to full stop. Next paragraph, if you follow me and support Trump, comma, you can go full stop. There is zero excuse to follow or vote for the vile, comma, horrible man, full stop, and tweet. And Quinn Simmons, young writer for Trek Segafredo, a man I said in the flesh will on brief preview, I said that, yeah, very talented, man to watch, um, thought he could do it well at flesh, won Junior World Champs Road Race in 2019, up-and-coming American prospect. And he replied to Jose at Twitter Jose. He replied with bye and a hand-waving emoji where the colour of that emoji was... Uh, black and then other people then started to call him out on that i think peter flax i don't know who that is um he said i like talented bike races as much as anyone but i refuse to cheer for anyone who supports a racist hateful fascist like quinn simmons does i'm officially rooting for anyone everyone else and quinn simmons responded to that saying what a loss uh and then a heart, two heart emojis, and I presume he was being sarcastic when he said, what a loss. And there are a few other things that maybe Quinn said. I think other people said, are you a Trump supporter? He said, that. that's right, American flag. And those are the three tweets that I can see. I haven't really seen any others related to this particular incident. I know that Quinn is um, he's tweeted a little bit before, and anyway, after that, there was a big uproar on Twitter and people were calling for Trek Segafredo to say something. They were tagging him and things, saying, what's your opinion on this, uh, what Queen has said on Twitter. And Trek Segafredo put out a response to the public comments made by Quinn Simmons shortly after saying, Trek Segafredo is an organisation with a Z, not an S, that values inclusivity and supports a more diverse and equitable sport for all athletes. While we support the right to free speech, we will hold people accountable for their words and actions. Regrettably, team writer Quinn Simmons made statements online that we feel are divisive, incendiary and detrimental to the team, professional cycling, its fans and the positive future we hope to help create for the sport. In response, he will not be racing for Trek Segafredo until further notice. The team and its partners will work together to determine how we will move forward and keep fans and the public informed as to the decisions made in the matter. So first things first, Benji, it's not a contract termination, is it? Like the the merits of whatever of a decide, I'm my interpretation of that is they've benched him for now and at any time Trek could bring him back in for races whenever they choose. Is that your take as well? Yeah, I think so as well. I think there's just behind the scenes that the sponsors are probably not happy mostly about what happened here because whatever a cyclist that is wearing a track shirt and a Sega Freda shirt, Sega Freda, that's a new sponsor, Sega Fredo shirt is wearing, well, if any cyclist is wearing a sponsor shirt or just representing a sponsor, because when you go to the Twitter of, of Quinn Simmons and you see the track logo, you see the Sega Fredo logo, you, you connect that. And whatever a cyclist says on Twitter, whenever a public figure that represents a company says on Twitter that causes uproar, 
then you know that the sponsor and or company that is connected to that person or writer is not going to be happy about it. And I think that's going to be uh, his biggest issue right now that I think Trek is and Segafredo is, uh, are pretty angry at him because this tarnishes their, their reputation. And as a public figure, I think you need to know better that whatever you say on social media can have consequences. And that is my, my biggest issue with this, that I believe that the initial message, well, he posts that, but what bugs me the most is the witty remarks afterwards like the water loss oh, eh. when reading that i just i was just like that is so not what you do when you're being like attacked for for posting something that is being taken as racist if it's racist or not beside the question here for a second but in general that is not the cleverest thing you do and that really bugs me in the situation yeah, it w- I think, yeah, it wasn't a mature response, I guess. But the other side of this coin is he's maybe tweeted something back to Jose, which he doesn't think is particularly bad. And he's got uh, other people like uh, that Flax person calling him a fascist, etc. So maybe he thought they didn't deserve a, a proper response. Just for context as well before this, because this is not an isolated social media incident from Simmons um, and I'll, I'll take you back to June, the start of June and this has been mischaracterised uh, around the traps uh, from people writing about what happened then but anyway he made he made a comment to someone I think in response to uh, Corey Williams. Corey Williams put out an Instagram I think post about his story as uh, trying to become a a pro cyclist, or and the difficulties difficulties he's he's faced, and um, yeah, basically talking about how cycling puts up barriers and makes it difficult for um, non-white athletes. Yeah, all non-white athletes is an extremely white sport, I guess. And anyway, he put that tweet up or Instagram post up. Uh, you can go and read it yourself. I've probably paraphrased it badly. And Simmons, I think. He says he was trying to respond to that. You know on Instagram when you respond to a story or something or you send it to someone else, not the original author, you send it to someone else and then you comment. Um, and Simmons said something to the effect of, like, if you've got the legs, you'll get picked. Uh, like, if you're fast enough, you get picked, etc. And I think Simmons says that he didn't send that directly to Corey Williams, which would be pretty be pretty confrontational like i guess just in terms of social social cues and emotional intelligence like it's i don't go picking fights with random people on the internet all the time even if i disagree with what someone's posted on instagram like imagine if your friend down the road you know from high school posted a story about how something has been difficult for them in 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 their life it'd be pretty it's pretty like a confrontational thing to reply directly to it you might send it to someone and say oh i don't agree with what they've said here but yeah apparently simmons didn't he says i think he said to me he didn't respond directly to it and but then he got screenshotted and sent to williams and then williams posted it on his instagram calling simmons out um and then simmons apologized in the comments on that 
post and maybe gave some context to it as well. It was like an apology with a butt in it, uh, not the best sort of apologies. And then I think Corey Williams deleted the post because he said that Simmons was young and had learned his lesson, etc. And that was just something he'd created for himself. You don't have to be a genius to realise that for, if anyone posts a story like that or whatever, you don't, like, what's the point or what are you gaining from trying to argue about the validity of their their opinion? And he's a pro athlete. He's a world tour athlete contracted with Trek on world tour money. And I wrote an article at the time saying, be careful what you write online. This is on June 2nd, particularly if you're a prominent athlete. And I said, the reality is whether you agree or not with what Simmons said, he should have known that his comment would cause a shit storm if broadly publicised, given that it was in response to Williams' tweet. The result of its publication was dozens of people tagging his employer, Trek Segafredo, and their sponsors, demanding that they answer as to why their employee was behaving in this way. So he knows how the internet works. Now, whether you agree with how the internet works, whether you call it cancel culture or not, that aside, the reality of the way the internet works is he knows the drill and he still, I presume, I'm assuming as well, Trek have spoken to him before, before yesterday about his online activity and social media posting, etc., and maybe told him to cool it and don't, because you look at the, the language Trek used. They said he made statements that were divisive, incendiary, and detrimental. They didn't say we've benched him because he supports Donald Trump as because he's a he supports a conservative politician. They've benched him because his tweets are kind of like baity and a bit, as you say, Benji, it was like the other ones as well that annoyed you more. Um, and I guess he's got now a repeat pattern of doing that. So they were like, we don't want to deal with it. Um, and they're, they're a business. They're a business promoting a brand. And I guess they're entitled to do whatever they want within the, the realm, the bounds of uh, employment law. I think they're based in, in Italy is where the team's license is. I'll tell you as well, if I was an employment, employment lawyer in Australia and they were based in Australia and I don't think they'd be able to, they wouldn't be able to shred his, tear up his contract. Uh, I don't know what it, assuming that his contract is roughly in line with the World Tour standard, which it probably is, Neopro contract, you can't, you can't terminate someone's contract like this for this, for something like this, um, because I guess what he said, he, he's not really said what something that is clearly a racial slur. People have interpreted him saying bye with the, and him, I think the real issue is the bye with the uh, emoji of a hand waving that's black, and that is weird as hell. Like, why is he, it's weird that he's used that, <laughs> that and people interpreted it with, the context of him being a supporting Donald Trump as being sort of race baiting. And it's probably probably a correct assumption, but it's there's not a it's not as clear cut as him saying a, a definite racial slur that everyone accepts as a racial slur. So when I look at what happened with Israel Folau, he got his contract terminated in Australia. He's a rugby union player and he's a devout I think devout Christian, very religious uh, he's homophobic, and he he po- continually posted a series of homophobic tweets. I think, uh, like really vile shit, like cra- off the reservation crazy shit that 
conservative or not, you'd be like, that's, that's buck wild. And he probably should get his contract terminated. And Rugby Australia did terminate his contract and he sued them and got a, multi, got a very big payout. Um, I can't remember if it actually went to court and he won or not, but he got a big – if it went to – I think they settled and he got a pretty big payout, like seven-figure payout. Um, and what he said was way worse than anything Simmons said. So if it was in Australia, I can't see how they'd be able to terminate his contract for this. Now, there's also clauses in the World Tour contracts that you have to – I think unless there's like their riders injured or something, you have to involve or include the rider in a certain number of races in a certain period of time. I can't remember exactly. So I don't know how long they're going to be able to bench him. It's interesting that he hasn't, A, taken down the tweets or B, apologised for it. So I feel like Trek was speaking to him. Like, do you think Benji Trek was speaking to him, asking him to delete them and maybe come out with an apology, etc., or provide further context? Because it's really weird the the buy with the black color of handy emoji. That is weird, um, and I think people are probably yeah, correctly assuming what he meant by that, which was kind of race baiting, and he's not provided any context to why he included that, um, and he stayed silent on it. So, like, do you think? They spent a bit of time before they put out that statement trying to get him to take them down and apologise for it. And also, Benji, you know, this is a you're a co-host. Uh, I've said my take on it. Not maybe people say I've sat on the fence on it, but yeah, do you have I missed out anything? Is there any other context I've missed out there? I think that's roughly all the context that I know about it. Uh, I think that Jose Ben, the uh, initial owner of the well, the initial poster of the tweet that the response was sent to the message of Quinn Simmons was sent to she uh, actually went on and deleted the tweets because she feels like the uh the backlash of this whole event is a bit too much to Quinn Simmons because she's spoken to him that he was looking forward to the classics and such um it, for me it's hard to judge I feel like um honestly oh you don't really <laughs> yeah honestly <laughs> Honestly, if I have to give my opinion on this, then I feel that I judge it mostly on the fact that I find it irresponsible and a bit stupid that he went on to post it. But afterwards, when people call him out for it, not acknowledge that it is race baity, it is anything like that. And that is my biggest issue with it, that he just feels to. It feels like he's encompassing and he's he's basically hugging the responses and saying, sure, okay, I guess I am then. And that's what bugs me the most because if I would let's let's take the the probably unlikely thing that he accidentally clicked on the emoji. I feel like that's extremely unlikely considering the context of the tweet it was too, but let's say that It's then, possible. It's possible it was possible, it was the default but, colour. Yeah, but I feel like it's unlikely, but surrounding it, then whatever is thrown at you because of it, you don't go ahead and say, oh, what a loss. Well, that, uh, that tweet bugged me so hard, genuinely. And that's what annoys me most from it, because he knows he's hurting the company he's working for as well. And he just kept on doing it. So, yeah, it's just not clever, and I feel like he skipped class when the media training was on or something, because additionally to the f- due to the fact that, well, 
there are people that see this as racist and there are people that don't see it as racist and oppose that. But if you know that your tweet is causing such uproar and you're a public figure, then then you have to do something more than than put some witty remarks on people that respond to it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, whether you agree with his cancellation or him getting benched or not, um, a lot of people have messaged me saying, I think it's a bit over the top, but he's still ultimately to blame because he had a test run of this and he should have known this is what would happen. And given that Trek has had a fair bit of bad PR for, I think, being a bike supplier to the police in the last six months or whatever, they've had some bad PR with that. In the context of that, he should probably have known better and he shouldn't be surprised with uh, what's happened. But yeah, that's. I'd also like to say, Benji and I don't like talking about this stuff. We like talking about cycling. We stick to cycling where possible. And I think I'd inc- that's why I don't really use Twitter because the amount of cycling journalists that are on there who have a following from people because they're cycling journalists and literally half their feed is tweeting about politics in countries where they aren't even a citizen is frankly astounding to me and I think they'd be better off just reining in their content to why people are following them because it's different when it's like a, your private profile with your friends, etc., or whatever, but Twitter is an extension of your professional CV in my mind. That's how I view Twitter or social media, etc. It's reflective of the content you provide and and uh, particularly when you're like a journalist, etc. in 2020 and I think... People just use it for random stuff. It's just it makes no sense to me that Twitter platform. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm the, the strange one, but that's why I don't really like it. But that's enough on the Quinn Simmons stuff. I'm sure <laughs> we're going to have people <laughs> in the comments either saying we didn't go hard enough on him or we didn't um, go hard enough on Trek. That's life. We've tried to just try to give both sides to the story. He's a young guy, um, and it's possible that they bring him straight back in for Paris Roubaix or whatever. I'm not sure it's a certain thing that he's out for the entire classics, to be honest. They they left themselves a little bit of wiggle room there, Trek. So maybe he goes, does a bit of media training and back in he comes for the for the classics. But that's it for today. Keen to watch that prologue length stage three time trial tomorrow in the Bing Bang Tour. We've got our Giro preview podcast, which we're about to record now. Thanks for listening as always. Make sure you leave a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. We'll see you later. Ciao.